Church, let's pray together as we come to God's word for the last time um, this year. Uh, let's pray together. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here this morning. Uh, we pray for the many who can't be with us for a variety of reasons. I know that some are sick, um, some are away. Um, our Lord and God, we ask that your hand of protection will be upon them, uh, whether they're recovering um, or just having a really good rest from a busy year. I pray for all of us who are here today. We pray that the words of Psalm 103 would speak not just to our minds, but to our souls. Uh, we need these words. And so thank you for speaking words of truth and life to us. I work by your Holy Spirit to do this transforming work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, church, it's really hard to believe that we are less than 24 hours away from 2024. Uh, how has your year been? Uh, are you looking forward to the new year? I know that a room this size will have a mix of responses. Uh, maybe you kicked a couple of goals. You had a really good year in 2023. Perhaps you got a promotion. You got recognition at work. I see some of your LinkedIn's, right? It's awesome stuff. Uh, maybe your child's situation has really improved uh, since this time last year. Maybe your child's faith has just really bloomed and flourished over the past 12 months. Uh, maybe uh, you're healthier than you've ever been before. And so as Tash read out the words from Psalm 103, praise the Lord, you think to yourself, yes, thank you, Jesus. It's really easy for you to echo these words. But I'm also conscious that some of you may have had a really tough year. Uh, perhaps you've lost someone you loved. Uh, maybe the health of your parents are deteriorating. Maybe you failed a subject at school or university. Maybe you received a really bad medical prognosis. And so as you read the words of Psalm 103, praise the Lord, you think, yeah, pastor, I'm not really sure I can. It's really easy to allow this year's experience to shape our anticipation for next year. And I wonder if you realize there are a few dangers with this. Because if you've had a really good year, you might be hoping that it will keep snowballing into an even better year. And this kind of optimism, perhaps a bit of naive optimism, is, is a little bit dangerous, right? Because you and I know that tragedies could strike at any moment without any planning. We need a sort of hope for the future that is more resilient than naive optimism. Or maybe you've had a really bad year, and in your mind right now, you are expecting things to get worse. And that risks a bit of pessimism, right? Because you might be discounting the fact that change and transformation is indeed possible. We need to have a hope that is open to the possibilities of change. Church, the sort of resilient hope is what is on offer here in Psalm 103. All of this is grounded not in our circumstances because they are fragile. Rather, it is grounded on the unchanging and everlasting good God who loves us. This is a hope that is sober about the unpredictabilities about life. But it's also a hope that is expectant. Expectant about what God can do. This here is what makes it possible to praise the Lord regardless of the circumstances. So today, I want to invite us to spend this sermon reflecting and looking back with clarity so that we can look forward with confidence 
And as we work our way through these five short yet loaded verses, I hope and pray that we can cultivate a sort of humble hope. A humble hope that is based on the reality that God is always good to us. That God is always good to us. And so, it is time to trust God more, not less. It is time to trust God more and not less. As you come to point one with me, I wonder if you realize that this entire psalm is actually focused on praising God for all that he has done. It is so radically focused on God, right? Look at your Bibles with me. God's divine name, the Lord, is mentioned all throughout these 22 verses. In this psalm, every single pronoun refers to God himself. This year is all about God. Now, what's more, it's interesting. Uh, no historical context is given for the psalm. No additional information from the superscriptions. That that's very common in the Psalms, right? From David or in times of disaster. If you look at your Bibles there, there's no superscription that gives us a bit more detail about what's going on here. It just launches straight into it. Praise the Lord. Now, on the one hand, this makes it very difficult to exegete and interpret, right? Because usually when we read passages like this, we want to ask questions like, you know, what was David going through when he was writing this psalm? What was he responding to? And not having answers to these questions means that we have to read this psalm very generally. But on the other hand, I think this is what makes this psalm one of the most memorable of psalms. It's exactly because it's general that it's helpful. It means it, it can be applied to all peoples at all times in all places, and it's focused on the unchanging God. But if you look at verse 1 with me, it begins uh, very specifically with God's work of restoration. Read verses 1 to 3 with me. It says, Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases. Now, church, these verses show us something that we might be ashamed to admit. It tells us that we are prone to forget the benefits that God lavishes upon us. I mean, isn't that so true? You know, I don't think Christians give enough time reflecting and remembering the sweetness of being forgiven and restored by God. I'm not sure if you've done this before. Uh, but have you ever thought back to what your life was like before God got involved in your life? What was your life like back then? Or have you ever wondered what your life might look like if God did not intervene on your life right now? It'll be easier for some of you in this room because you recently became a Christian. Or you recently reconnected with God. As I look across the room, I know that for some of you, it's been less than 12 months, right? So you've tasted the bitter fruit of rebellion against God. You know the folly of going against the grain of your design. And so you've responded to God's love by faith. And so God's grace is fresh to you. Uh, this is why some of the most passionate Christians are young Christians, right? Because for them, it's like they've been in a stuffy room a long time, but they've breathed fresh air for the first time. Wow, that, that thrill, that shock, that beauty of grace. They know what it's like. Now, what was your life like before you met Christ? 
And what could you possibly imagine your life to be like if God had not turned your life around? Uh, it might be harder for others in this room to imagine. Uh, perhaps if you're like me, then maybe you grew up in a Christian home. You've always known the Bible. Maybe you've memorized Psalm 103. You know the words, right? And in a really good way, you've always known that Jesus loves you. You're a covenant child. You have a less dramatic testimony. Maybe you low-key despise the fact that your testimony is kind of boring. Where's my drug dealer story, right? Maybe you don't have any of those. Uh, but even so, you know that following Jesus hasn't always been a smooth journey. There have been times where you doubt it. There are times where you've slipped in sin, you've made a mess of things. But friend, listen, if you're still here today, it means that God graciously got involved. Could you imagine, though, if God's law was not written on your heart, if God's spirit was not guiding your life, if God's word was not instructing your attitudes and your actions, could you imagine if God wasn't at work in actively sustaining your life? Uh, Grace Point, the truth is, I think some of us grow cold and numb towards grace because we have, in the words of verse 3, forgotten what life would have looked like otherwise. We've forgotten how destructive sin is, how it completely ruins our life, and so we easily take things for granted. But if you can look back with clarity and remember what God has done for us, then our hearts will burst out singing, praise the Lord for you have been so good to me, right? Oh my, that he will even look at my direction and say to me, oh my goodness, I'm going to step into your life. That God will look at our hearts and, and work to soften our hardened hearts. That God will show us our pride. That God will remove barriers for belief. That God will grant us the faith necessary to trust in Him. That God will even restore us. You know, the rest of Psalm 103, especially verses 11 to 12. Look at 11 to 12 with me. We didn't get to read this. Uh, but I want to draw your attention to it because it highlights that what motivates God's Action towards us is God's love for us. A love that knows no limits, right? As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards us. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, the hyperbole of heaven above earth and east to west is meant to show us the magnitude of God's mercy. The magnitude of God's mercy that God will look upon helpless sinners like you and I and choose to forgive us at great cost to himself. To restore us, to forgive us, to restore us to joy, to restore us to meaning and hope. Oh my, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that God invites everyone to take a step forward and to respond to his offer of grace and mercy. And so the psalmist is inviting us right now to bask in the sweetness of this forgiveness and salvation for just a moment. To just soak it in. That he saves us from the path of destruction and puts us instead on a path of life. 
And as we bask in this, the rest of verse 3 continues to speak of God's restorative work. Read verse 3 with me. It speaks of how God heals all of our diseases. Now, friends, this verse needs a bit of untangling. Because it's really important to note that this verse doesn't mean that if we trust in Jesus, then God will heal all of our diseases, whether it's a cancer or a cold, which seems to be a bit common right now, right? No, within the context of Psalm 103 verse 3, what we must see is that the sin and sickness here are connected, right? I want you to zoom in your Bibles with me. Read with me. The God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. There is a, what you could call, parallelism going on here. And the point is this. God will bring healing, full healing, to sicknesses and diseases which arise as a direct result of sin. I'll say it again. God will bring full healing to sicknesses and diseases which arise as a direct result of sin. So the point of verse 3 is this, just as your sins are forgiven, so your sicknesses associated with that sin will be healed as well. There are other passages like Psalm 107 verse 17 uh, that shows us the relationship between sin and sicknesses, right? Psalm 107 verse 17 says, Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. There's a relationship between sin and sickness. I want to make a few observations with, with you, right? This is very important. Firstly, the promise of full healing here in verse 3 is granted to diseases that are directly connected to the forgiveness of a particular sin. That means that your cancer doesn't fall under this category because your cancer is not a result of your sin. COVID is not a result of your sin. Your chronic pain is not a result of your sin. These are results of living in a desperately fallen and broken world. And they come under the category of James 5 verse 15, where we pray for each other to be healed. We seek medical wisdom. God hears our prayers. He responds in ways that is consistent with his plans and purposes. But we do not have the same expectation of guaranteed healing because they are not a result of particular sins. Secondly, though, there's the diseases that are being spoken of here in verse 3 doesn't necessarily have to be a physical or medical illness. You see, the word diseases here can also be translated as ailments. It can be understood more broadly and generally as pains, as conditions, as disorders. Psalm 107 uses the word affliction, and that totally makes sense, right? Because our sins certainly produce pain, long-term conditions, afflictions even. For example, the, the sin of adultery is often accompanied by the pain of, of guilt and heartbreak. Uh, the sin of stealing is often haunted by shame. The sin of lying and manipulation is often accompanied by someone's distrust in us. Church, every sin, and there's no such thing as a private sin, every sin is accompanied with the consequence that can be described like a disease that follows us around, an ailment that we carry, a sickness or an infection that impacts every move that we make. 
the sort of diseases that the psalm is speaking of here includes all of these things. And so thirdly, and very importantly, the point of this verse is this. The good news is that God promises to heal all of this. Your guilt, your shame, your heartbreak, your regret. God will bring healing to all of this as your sins are forgiven in Jesus. Church, has this been true of your life? I know that it has been for some of you, right? I know that God has indeed brought healing to some of your lives. I know that some of you have come to Grace Point and there were things about your past and history that you would never talk about. You have done, said things that you never want mentioned, that you are terrified of people finding out. Or there were things that were said and done to you that you never want publicly known. There's just too much shame, guilt, remorse, personal disappointment associated with it. And yet months, years, maybe even decades later, you found healing as grace is slowly applied to your heart. The burden is slowly lifted and you're able to start feeling vulnerable again. And you started talking to people about things that you never expected. You thought that you would bring this to your grave. And yet the grace of God has freed you and healed you. Maybe that healing is still going on, but you've tasted the joys of recovery. Church, as you look back, hasn't God proven himself to be good to us? Think and look back at the forgiveness that Christ has accomplished on your behalf. A forgiveness that restores your soul, but also think and look clearly at your past hurts and pains associated with sin. What area of healing and restoration has God brought to your life? And as you reflect, I pray that a deep sense of confidence in God's grace begins to well up inside of you because you know how good God has been to you. Uh, But there's more that God has done for us. Read verse 4 with me. It says that God is the one who redeems our lives from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion. Now, the word pit here uh, literally means Sheol or in the Bible, hell. And within context, that totally makes sense, right? Verse 3, God heals and forgiveness. And so it's natural that part of that forgiveness is redemption from the punishment of hell, from separation from God. Uh, But here, the pit is also a very powerful metaphor. I mean, it's image, isn't it? Have you heard of the expression rock bottom? A person who has hit rock bottom is a person who has hit the lowest point in their lives. They're at the bottom of the pit and there is no obvious way out. Verse 4 is saying, God delivers us from that. He saves us from our life from hell, but he also redeems us from rock bottom. Haven't you and I experienced that in our lives? Uh, Do you remember the time when you felt so helpless? And you prayed like you had never prayed before. Do you remember when God did the impossible? A lot of my time as a pastor is spent praying and walking with people here at Grace Point. And it continues to stun me how often people say, Pastor, will you pray for me? There is an impossible situation right now. 
and when I hear them describe the situation, I also think to myself, though I never say it, right? Yeah, that kind of sounds impossible, right? Uh, an addiction, a broken marriage, a wandering child, an abusive work environment, a health crisis. At the surface, so many of these things seem impossible. But hey, if I got you to pause right now and look back, Grace Point, has not God also been faithful in redeeming from these circumstances? Because you and I know that some spouses against all odds have repented. Some of your addictions against all odds have been overcome. Your child against all odds have softened their hearts towards you. They've called you. Your doctor against all odds have told you that you are cleared. A miracle child is born. Now, of course, I don't want to give anyone the impression that God will always deliver us from every rock-bottom situation. The reality of a broken world keeps us sober, right? Because some spouses don't repent. Some struggle with addiction their whole lives. Some children never call you back. Some workplaces won't improve. Some illnesses don't get cured. Often, these things don't find the resolution we want because maybe God is still at work. Perhaps your story is not over yet. But then sometimes our longing for healing and redemption will only be fulfilled in the new creation when Jesus returns. And yet... I'm willing to guess that if we paid really close attention to what God has been doing in your life, then you will find more redemption than you expect to find. That there are more answered prayers than we realize. That God delivers on things even when we forgot that we prayed about them. We forget that God's timing is perfect. Church, will you look back with clarity with me? Hasn't God shown himself to be good to us? Uh, The rest of verse 4 continues and speaks of God crowning us with love and compassion. The language of crowning is very powerful. You see, when I say the word crown, you're probably thinking about the coronation of King Charles early this year, right? Makes sense, right? Crowning is often associated with royalty, dignity. You know, it's a ceremony where a literal crown is placed on someone's head as a declaration that they are a cut above the rest, They are special. So when verse 4 says that God crowns us, this verse is saying we too are given special status. That we are no longer lost sinners, that we are elevated by God's grace to a place of dignity. Uh, But you know, to crown is also to encircle or to surround. Uh, I saw a dentist, my dentist recently Uh, He noticed I have a cracked tooth from all the grinding, all the stress. I've been grinding since I was like year five, so I'm sure it's not stress. It's probably something else, right? And so he said that one of the procedures that I might need done on me is to have my tooth crowned. Uh, That is to encircle or surround my tooth with a stronger material to not only hold my tooth together, but also protect it from further damage. This foreign material is meant to hold everything together, but also to prevent it from further harm. Look at verse 4 with me right now. God 
crowns us. He elevates us to a place of dignity, but he also crowns us. He encircles, he surrounds. You could even say he hugs or embraces us with love and compassion. That's what he does for us in the gospel. The work of Jesus is God's definitive sign of his love for us. You know, that's why Christians don't have to walk around leaking our insecurities on people and waiting and hoping that people will approve us or affirm us. We can walk around with a deep sense of confidence because God loves us. This is a love that transcends our circumstances, a love that speaks even in the darkest of places, a love so secure that nothing could ever take this away from us. God is always good to us. Finally, point three, Psalm 103 verse five speaks of the God who satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagle's. Now, there are questions of what it means for God to satisfy our desire. Does it mean that God will give me anything that I want, anything my heart desires? Well, obviously not, right? The heart doesn't always desire good and godly things. It will be a contradiction for God to give us something that cripples our sanctification. In fact, a more accurate translation of verse 5 is this. God gives us good things so they were always feeling renewed and vibrant. That's a colloquial translation. God gives us good things so that we are always feeling renewed and vibrant. The idea of God giving us good things is consistent with other passages in Scripture. You know, James 1 verse 17, Luke 11 verse 13, Psalm 84 verse 11. And of course, God gives good things, right? He loves us. He cares for us. This whole psalm establishes that. Even earthly parents who are imperfect know how to give their children good gifts. How much more the perfect Heavenly Father. And you know, the eagle here is obviously a very powerful metaphor because they have this ability to fly without becoming easily weary or tired. And the language renewed here is so good, isn't it? The language, the word renewed, there, it doesn't deny that we will get fatigued. It is shockingly honest about the fact that in life, we all feel run down or exhausted. It doesn't give us the illusion that everything is always going to be okay. And the fact that it is our youth that is being renewed is also an honest admission that we do age. I'm at an awkward age right now where half the room thinks I'm too old. They, they say that my jokes are irrelevant And there's another half of the room that thinks that I just came out of my mother's womb two weeks ago, right? So kind of neither young or old, awkward space. But, you know, I can see the effect that aging has on people. It's so easy to grow cold, disinterested. It's so easy to lose passion. It's so easy to become scared become insecure and to to live in denial. Now, all of those things are such natural responses to aging, right? And yet the promise of verse 5 is this. All who grow weary will find strength in the Lord. All who are slowly aging will have their youthful vibrancy restored in God. That's why verses like Psalm 92 verse 14 make sense, right? They will still bear fruit in old age. 
they will still stay fresh and green. Aging doesn't mean you have to be old. You can age and still remain youthful and vibrant. Church, your age or your exhaustion does not have to spell the end of your vibrancy. The Lord will renew us as He gives us what we need to continue bearing fruit for His name. You know, these good things can come in the form of an encouragement. It can come from seeing fruit, even in the little things that you do. Let me ask you a question. Has God dropped notes of grace in your life recently? Has there been little forms of encouragement where God has given you to remind you that He is not done with you yet? I'm confident that there are traces all over the place. We just need to give attention We need quiet and reflective spaces to start noticing it. You know, the idea of looking back sometimes gets a really bad reputation. Everyone talks about looking ahead, looking forward, and this makes sense in so many ways, right? Looking back is associated with regret. Looking back is, uh, you know, described as not being able to move on in life, right? But I hope you can see from Psalm 103 that there are good ways to look back. Because sometimes it is by looking back that we realize how far we've come. Sometimes the act of looking back is what gives us strength to continue. It's like when you, got, when you get to the top of a hill, you don't realize how incredible the whole journey has been until you look back down and you say, oh my goodness, that's where I started? That's what Psalm 103 is calling us to do today, to look back with clarity at all that God has done for us so that we can look forward with confidence. So very concretely to apply this, I want to encourage us to look back with gratitude. Look back at all that God has done for you. Review your year. I cannot stress how important this is. This is a call from Scripture, right? But I want you to know that everything in our society tends to stop us from doing that because reviewing and reflecting takes a sort of silence and introspection that our culture does not encourage. Our culture encourages rushing, speed, moving on, and there is certainly a space for that. But the biblical art of reflection and meditation in God's word and in God's promise is such a lost art but it's what cultivates a sort of gratitude that Scripture calls for. So genuine gratitude reveals in detail all the wonderful gifts of our God. So a very tangible point to ponder for you is this. What specific gifts has God given you that bring you the most gratitude? What specific gifts has God given you that bring you the most gratitude? Gratitude. Now, I want to give you a few smaller questions to consider before answering a big question like this, right? Uh, And I draw some inspiration from a book uh, by Holly and Glenn Packiam. It's called Intentional Year. It's something worth looking into. Uh, But they've got kind of three kind of smaller questions that might be helpful, right? Question number one, what significant things happened over the past year? Significant things, wins, losses, events, people who've entered or exited your life, what are some significant things that have happened? Just just write it down, think about it, reflect on it, pray about it. Uh, Question number two, uh, where did you experience grief? Uh, Grief is often an emotion that we try to suppress, but grief is often the emotion that God speaks most loudly through. 
what we grieve about shows what we value, what we love. And God wants to speak into those spaces. Where did you experience grief this year? Question number three, where did you discover gifts of joy? Where did you experience joy this year? Church, how has God restored, redeemed, and renewed you personally? If you are celebrating New Year's Eve today, um, maybe with a bunch of friends, maybe with a family, maybe you can share with your group you're spending time with while waiting for the countdown. Just sit down and just, just, just talk about this. Dads especially, can I encourage you to lead your family in this activity? Um, one of the things I really treasure, a, tr- a precious memory uh, from my upbringing is that on January 1st, every single year, uh, my dad would get the whole family and have breakfast together, and he would invite us to review the year that has just gone by and ask us what we are prayerful for in the year that is to come. Uh, and obviously, as a kid, right, my review was like, oh, I had a really good year. I finished like year three. And like, oh, I would love to have a new bike. Like, that was the extent of my imagination, right? And as I grew and I flourished, obviously, things changed. Dad's could you take a bit of leadership and responsibility, spiritual authority in your family, and just sit them down? It doesn't matter if they're 18 or 8 years old. Just sit down and go, hey, guys, let, let's spend a bit of time. Let's have breakfast. Let's, let's talk about this. Such a powerful spiritual activity. Let me encourage you to consider doing that. Gratitude can be so infectious, right? And so I pray that your sharing with each other will be a way to praise God. But it will also position us to look forward with confidence and courage because in doing so, we can see that God is always good to us. And as you do that, church, I want to therefore invite us to look forward to 2024 and to look forward and resolve to trust God more and not less. Trust God more and not less. Maybe that can be your motto for the year that is to come. Because here's the thing. He's proven himself to be faithful. He's proven himself to be worthy of trust. He's proven his goodness and kindness and love towards us. Do we have any reason to doubt at all? And so praising God is not just retelling or re-singing how good, has been, how good God has been to us. Do all those things. Tell about it. Sing about it. We're going to sing 10,000 reasons in just a moment. So as we sing those words, I want to invite you to list out your personal 10,000 reasons for why God has been good to you. But praising God is also about living a life that visibly shows that God is the one we worship. Trusting God more, not less, is a clear and tangible expression of that. There are a few ways to do this, right? Firstly, when we come across difficult situations, we resolve as a first priority. We say to ourselves, I'm going to trust God more and not less in this situation. To trust God more and not less with our careers, with our family, with our finances, with our major decisions. When there's reason to doubt, fear, to be anxious, we call to mind Psalm 103 and all that God has done for us in the past. And we say, I'm going to trust God more, not less. Second of all, we look forward with gladness, right? Uh, This is what I call anchored anticipation. It is anticipation anchored in the goodness of God. And so here's a point to ponder for you. Given that God has a track record of being good to you, under God, what are you most looking forward to and prayerful about for 2024? Under God, what are you most looking forward to and prayerful 
about 2024. This here is humble hope. We don't presume that this time next year, everything is going to play out as we planned. We don't assume that God has the worst for us either. He, he doesn't. So what are you looking forward to, hopeful for, or prayerful about? I want to share something with you as we finish up. You know, I did a lot of heart work as I was preparing today's message. I did a lot of looking back in, in my own life, but also in my own ministry. And especially looked back at what God has been doing here at Grace Point Lidcombe. Do you remember where we were 12 months ago? Uh, we were preparing to merge our morning and evening services. Do you remember that? It's crazy how time flies. And I don't know about you, but I was personally very scared and anxious. Uh, we had spent six months preparing for this. It was going to happen. But what was it going to be like? We were closing down something really good in the evening service. It wasn't falling apart. It was thriving. I still miss it so, so much. But for the sake of the vibrancy of our entire campus, it seemed like the right thing to do, to bring everything together so that we can be stronger together. That was our prayer. But there was absolutely no guarantee that it would work. People could have left. The morning crew could have thought, oh, nah, these people are too young for me. I'm done. I want none of this. The evening crew could have thought, oh, nah, you know, we don't get our usual Q&A time, our sharing time, our meal time. I don't like this. There were just so many risks. Now, on paper, the two congregations coming together would bring us to about 120 adults on Sunday. I, I thought that we may possibly lose some people along the way. Do you remember what happened? By February, we had weeks where we were averaging about 170 adults. Not only did we grow in our numbers, we grew in the most unexpected way. I still have no human explanation. I've got guesses, but nothing I can prove. And you know what's exciting? The growth we saw was not just from people leaving their churches and coming to Grace Point. There was some of that, but that's really just a reshuffling of the deck. More importantly, so many of these were from conversions. So many of them were prodigal sons and daughters coming back to the Father. Can you believe that? So many of your prayers for your brothers and sisters, your friends, your cousins were all answered. Some of you sitting here right now are sitting here because the person next to you has spent years praying for you. But it wasn't just numerical growth. I've witnessed many of you growing deeper in your spirituality. Your joy and confidence in the Lord is greater than ever before. More challenges, to be sure. For sure, right? More challenges. I've never been more challenged pastorally than this year. But I've never been more convinced of the power of God's grace than this year. Now, of course, right? Um, over the year, our numbers stabilized for a while. And so that's when we started needing to think about space, right? Over the course of the year, we had some possible solutions, but as the year went on, none of these things actually eventuated. We were so close to some options, and goodness, I wish they worked out, God. Ah, but can you believe it? In a time when churches in Sydney are closing, God is giving us space issues. Thank you, God. So God allowed us to, you know, for example, build connections with the dance studio down the road. So we've got extra rooms for our CGs. Isn't that good? 
Just a few weeks ago, they called me and asked if we want more rooms because they want to give us priority as we head into the new year. We still got problems, no? And so for 2024, what we're going to do as a short-term solution um, for this gathering is to partition the wall uh, in the hall upstairs in the main building so we can sit around 50 people for a simultaneous stream to create a bit of space. Some of you remember that we used to have an overflow room upstairs, but I know people disliked it because it was very distracting. Uh, So we're building a partition wall to keep the sound in. We've purchased some new gear, a a big TV, a bit of better sound. Dan Ho here is going to help us work through some of that. He's here today because he wants to do some fixes there. Our own Beck drew the plans for it. Our very own Jack certified it. God gave us the gifts and the people to make this happen. This way, we can fit 50 in there comfortably and 150 here. We've bought ourselves some time, but hasn't God just been so good to us? Because you see, we have, as a campus, been pretty exhausted over the last few years. Uh, From sending people to revitalize Burwood five to six years ago, as some of your friends went along. From sending people to plant Granville three years ago, some of you have lost friends who have gone along. I remember how tired people were feeling. Uh, And yet, over this year, I've seen how God has slowly begun to rebuild our vibrancy. I've seen our youth renewed like the eagle's wings. Some of you have told me personally that you've enjoyed church more this year. That serving has been a joy. Being part of this church family has a joy. Things have been easy, but your joy and vibrancy has been renewed. So if God has been good to us, then what can we expect for 2024? Well, the humble hope will tell us that things may not explode like it did this year, right? Like our numbers may just stay stable, even if we plan for growth. Some people may leave our church for very good reasons. Some have this year because they've moved interstate. They've moved further away. We've prayed for them. A humble hope will tell us that our church will continue to be imperfect. Sinners will mess up. Our leaders will disappoint us. People won't be as gracious or kind to one another as we wish. Our ministry programs won't be as great as we like. Our systems will struggle. Uh, It's also going to be a uniquely challenging year because our pastoral team will be down by another staff, which will create more pressures across the board. Uh, So we stay humble, sober about the unpredictabilities of our life. Anything could happen but we also remain hopeful because God has proven his goodness, his love, his faithfulness towards us. He's shown us that he can do anything. And so we anchor our anticipation on this. We pray for health and growth. We work towards health and growth for our church. I pray that our members here at Grace Point will have a renewed spiritual vitality, that we would know God at a deeper level, that we'd serve him with greater vibrancy. I pray that those who have been spiritually sleepy would wake up and realize the sweetness of grace. I pray that those who've been inactive in serving, staying at a distance, would rise up and say, this is my church and I want to get involved. I pray that this health will result in missional growth, that more people will want to come to know Jesus. Oh, I pray that we will continue to have an impact on our city, that people far from God will draw near to him. 
I pray that our ministers and training will bear fruit here, but also in other churches across our city. I pray that Grace Point will be known not as the flashiest church, but the most faithful church, a healthy church. I pray that we will cultivate healthier relationships in the life of our church. You know, it's really hard to get to know everyone at Lidcombe. And I want you to know that you are not expected to, right? You don't have to know everyone's name. Everyone's like, oh, okay, good, right? It's really difficult. But I pray that the few you know and care for will become lifelong spiritual companions who journey with you. I'm humbly hoping that for our church. So, so, so what about your life then? I've illustrated what humble hope looks like for us as a church. What does looking back with clarity and looking forward with confidence look like for you? Did you see how we've been holding all these things in tension? I pray that the points to ponder will guide you as you engage in this spiritual practice. God is always good to us. So it's time to trust God more and not less. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us here in Psalm 103. We thank you that there are 10,000 reasons to praise you, 10,000 reasons to give thanks to you, 10,000 reasons to bless your name. And so, Lord and God, we recognize in the words of the psalmist that we are so prone to forget all your benefits. We are so prone to growing cold and numb to your grace. Uh, Lord, would you correct or rebuke us for our cold unbelief and restore within us a vibrant faith that praises you and blesses you for all things in all seasons. Our Lord and God, I pray that as a church, we would engage in these spiritual practices of looking back with clarity in order that we may look forward with courage and confidence. Lead us and guide us as you have this year. Deepen our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.